Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports here in Harlem, USA, in the still undisclosed location uh, with my friend and co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. As always, I'm right here. Yep. With our sound guy, uh, uh, Kevin Keating, to my right, and uh, keeping it real, and, and looking at uh, Raisa Kelly doing these great images, and our special guest, the young brother who I actually I just, I just met at Master Square Garden, uh, though I've been familiar with his work, just didn't realize it was him. <laughs> uh, but uh, our guest is uh, uh, the great Eric Horn, uh, E-R-I-K, e Eric Horn. Uh, Eric is a beat writer for the Oklahoman and um, is really uh, uh, been fortunate to cover a very fascinating uh, a piece of of um, of history, right? Of very, of, of very, Oklahoma. very fascinating. Yeah, very fascinating. So anyway, hey, hey, Eric, welcome, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, Bill uh, Jamal, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let's just let's just start. You you know you're in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, God bless you. And uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you from, by the way? I mean, we'll we'll get that later. Where are you from? I'm from uh, Southeast Louisiana. It's about. But the town I'm from is about 25 miles west of New Orleans. Okay. It's yeah, okay. called Laplace. It's a, it's a little town, but um, I went to high school in the New Orleans area and I uh, went to college uh, in Atlanta at Oglethorpe University, small school. So um, I've been all across the South. <laughs> okay. And well versed in the South. We've got to introduce you to Dean Baquet, the executive editor of the New York Times, who's from New Orleans and he loves all things New oh, Orleans. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, that's a good connect to that have. That is a great connection to have. <laughs> anyway, hey, so listen, so listen, uh, you know, like you said, man, you um, you presided over. You've been covering. You've been covering the Thunder for how long? How many seasons? Uh this will be this will be my second full year. Last year was the first uh, full year on the beat, but I've been with the Oklahoman for uh, for three years. Okay. Total. So so tell us about the breakup, man. I mean, uh, you know, for so long we had Durant and um, uh. Westbrook, so this dream combination. Tell tell us what these last, what this season has been like without him. But just this whole drama leading up to uh, to to Durant to the breakup of that marriage. Well, um, I, I guess we can start from the beginning of last season when I got onto the beat. Uh, Kevin came into the beginning of last season, and that was my first exposure to him on a on a, on a day to day basis. I, I think he came into it with a really good attitude, and uh, I think that. Uh, coming off of an injury, he was about as good with us in the media as he could possibly be. And throughout the year, there were times where uh, Kevin kind of oscillated between this guy that that had um took on some of those Westbrook traits, which of, was uh, being, what being short, you know being short with the media at times, mm -hmm. um, but but also 
that that had gone back a few years too, and, and Westbrook had actually, you know, I wouldn't say checked them on it, but but actually like questioned to Kevin um, from 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 people I've talked to, like you know, why is Kevin acting like this? I think I think a couple of a couple of seasons back, Kevin kind of popped off to the media during All Star well, break. Right, 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 right. Right. So Kevin Kevin's behavior had been fascinating to watch over the past couple of years. But this year he came into it with a really good attitude, I think. Um, I, I do think that it, it, was a, it was a good decision on his part for, for, for his career to be able to get with a team that's going to make things easier for him. But I also do think that uh, Kevin won't admit to it. He'll, he'll say that this was his own decision. But, but Kevin has been influenced by a lot of people in his life. Uh, Kevin's been a guy that He's changed his representation uh, from the beginning of his time in Oklahoma City to now with Rock Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, when Rock Nation came along, uh, there there were a lot of people um, that were talking to him and, and in his ear, and, and he had a lot of people that, you know, uh, were probably uh, giving him advice on, on what the next step in his career would be. And, and I think that Kevin's always been a guy, and he, and he told us throughout the season, throughout the years, that he's had numerous interests, you know, uh, away from basketball. And he's a guy that's bounced from the East Coast to Austin, Texas, to Seattle, uh, to Oklahoma City. So I always think that there was a possibility that he could pursue that and he could go that route to Golden State. But we just thought that, you know, the, the security of being here with this, with this strong of a team, with a top five point guard like Russell Westbrook, that would be enough to keep him here. And then when the season played out the way it did and they lost to Golden State in the manner in which they did. Losing, uh, blow, blowing, I, I think, that, I think, blowing I think, that three to one lead, right? Right. Right. I, I think that most of us, as just, just people who, who want to see competitive basketball, looked at it from the perspective of, oh, well, he's got to come back. Now they had a team that was close and ready to, ready to take these dudes down. Right. And that's not to say what Kevin did was wrong. But as it got closer to time to go, um, my colleague, Anthony Slater, who went to the Bay Area News Group, uh, he was kind of our lead guy for the past year. And I, I came on with him, and we did it, we partnered together. He, he kind of said to us, you know, like, I think this thing's a little bit closer to him leaving than we all think. Because hmm. Anthony had been around that group, for that Rock Nation group for some time. He'd gone down to Austin and seen Kevin at Nike events. And myself and our sports editor, our, our NBA editor, Darnell Mayberry, we were like, He's coming back. He's coming back. And we, we kept oscillating between the percentages of how much he would actually be close to coming back. But Anthony kind of had a hunch, like, you know, this thing might be closer to 60, 40 leaving than we think. Like, mm. so, Did you have an office pool? <laughs> uh, you, you know, it wasn't anything written down in stone. <laughs> but um, there, there, was a, there were times we got on the podcast and we talked about it. And we thought to ourselves, like, you, you know, um, he really has an opportunity to, to, to go somewhere else. And then as it got closer and it got drawn out, we, we started finding out information about the Hamptons meetings and such. That's when, that's when people around here started to get nervous about it. And then, <laughs> and then, they, and then the decision comes. So, so you, um, you, you, you think it was a, a rock nation thing where, where they wanted him in a bigger market? You know, I think it was a combination of things. Um, one of the things, and I have no inside knowledge of Rock Nation pulling any kind of strings. I'm going to go out and lay that out here now to not speculate. But one thing I thought that was curious about 
the the entire process was when Kevin Durant was introduced in Golden State, front and center with him during the introductions was his father. Hmm. And his father had not been somebody who was in the forefront throughout the entire year. I, I hadn't seen this guy. I hadn't seen him at games. Uh, it's been written several times that his father wasn't a guy that was very present throughout his uh, growing up. Right. His we always see him with his figure. mother. Correct. So in a piece by uh, Mark Spears, uh, just a, the, the, the great Mark the Spears, great the guy Spears. I owe a lot. Right. The great Mark Spears. <laughs> From uh, uh, the Undefeated, right? Yes. He wrote an Undefeated piece, and it was about Kevin Durant's father being there during the process. And I thought that that was fascinating from a standpoint that Durant's father hadn't really been around this entire year. So to me, it almost smelled like, okay, th- these guys are bringing in the closer. <laughs> Durant's father is the closer. You know, like, it, it, they, they, they recognize they've got a guy that's on the road who might be set on going to Golden State. And again, that's a perfectly fine decision. But Kevin's a guy who also, in my time around him, he, he likes to please people. He wants people to like him. He wants to be accepted. So it might have been a really tough decision for him. It was a tough decision for him to say, you know, I want to go pursue something else. And I think it might have taken a, a closer of sorts to come in and say, Kevin, it's okay to make this decision. It's okay to walk. And that's not to say that that's exactly why they did it, but I did find that portion of it uh, very peculiar uh, toward the end of the process. Hey, 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 let me ask you this: Who it, it, we talk about Kevin Durant and um, and uh, Westbrook? Who in your who in your estimation between those two is their own man? Is more of their own man, uh, Westbrook or or Durant? Well, I think that the way that Durant grew up and the things that he went through it would not be in my place to not call him a quote-unquote man. I think that Kevin Durant has been through a lot of things throughout his life that are far greater than, than some of the things that we've had to deal with. Uh, he's had to carry his family essentially through his basketball talent, mm-hmm. and he's been through a very difficult road to get there. But that being said, I, I think that the, the, the train of thought in the two guys is very, very different in, in, in terms of how they approach things. Russell does what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, Doesn't really care who he pleases. Circle. Russell has a very small circle of people. Um, I've heard heard from several people around him and himself. (laughs) He does what he wants. And and it's played itself out to be that way. He's got commercials that say, now I do what I want. Kevin, I think think if Kevin wholly wanted to, he could be that kind of guy. He could be that kind of persona. But I don't think that's in Kevin's heart. And that doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him a human being. Uh, and I think that Kevin, in a sense, is more relatable to any of us than Russell will ever be. I think mm. I think Russell can be not necessarily cold, but Russell is unique in the in the in the way that he approaches a lot of things, whether it's basketball or or just his interaction with us at the media. Um, Kevin, at one point last year, there was something out there about his relationship with the media. I think it was the ESPN piece that was written. And the next day, at the end of a media session, Kevin stopped and said, hey, guys, um, before I leave, I've got something to say. And he went out and explained his relationship with us. He said, I'm not mad at y'all. When I say the media, so-and-so, and he went on and just, this was unprompted by us. He went on to explain what he meant when he gets frustrated with the media. 
Hmm. And he basically apologized to us without us asking. Hmm. That's not something Russell Westbrook would ever do. Hmm. And, <laughs> and I thought it was fascinating from the standpoint of, you know, Kevin's going home and thinking about this stuff. <laughs> like, Kevin cares about, he cares about the relationships and the perceptions, even though he doesn't have to. Like, I don't fault Russell Westbrook for the way that he treats us at times because I think that we ask him stupid questions at times. And I think that this guy is singularly focused on basketball and the things within his circle. Hmm. But to me, that's the biggest difference between the guys from what I've seen. Hmm. Russell has this singular focus, and he will not be deterred by anything from the outside. Whereas Kevin, for better or worse, he, he hears the voices. Just like a lot of us that are human beings, we hear the voices, and, and it affects them, and he, and he thinks about it a lot. Right. Well, I mean, we're here here and now, and then now it's Westbrook's team, and it seems, to be, it, it seems to be what he always wanted. I mean, if you look how he's playing, he's averaging a triple-double, which is ridiculous. Um, do you feel like this is what he wanted, to have his own team? And, and uh, how, do you, how do you think the team looks without Durant now? Well, uh, I think Westbrook wants to win uh, first and foremost. Um, I I don't know if, if it's necessarily a, he wants to do it on his own thing. I, I think he would much rather prefer to have Kevin Durant ride with him. Mm. I mean, from what I understand, he he explained to Kevin, like, hey, we need you here. Or, or not not necessarily we need you here, but he, he explained to Kevin when they met that, you know, we, we want you back. Like, what do we need to do to make this thing work? And... I mean, if you get that from Russell Westbrook, I think that's a, that's a sort of humility that you're not used to seeing or, 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 or sort of basically Russell Westbrook opening himself up to you in the way that you're not used to him having, not used to seeing from Russell Westbrook. Do you think, so, Aaron, do you think um, that's why that, that may have really killed their relationship? You know, it, it's interesting to think about because uh, I, I don't think that Russell is a guy that, that opens himself up to a lot of people. So uh, could that could that be a factor? Yeah. It, could Russell be, feel th- that way? That that maybe he was, you know, maybe let down in the sense that he opened himself up to Kevin Durant and Durant didn't respond the way he wanted to? I mean, that's possible, but I'm not going to go out and say that that's definitely the reason. I think that Russell, when you're on the other side of the line, you're his competitor now. That's what it comes down to. Now, as far as the way that the Thunder looks now, I mean, they gave up two of the most efficient shooters in the world in Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka, so it's going to take time for them to even get anywhere close to that level of efficiency on offense and defense. I think Russell Westbrook is doing a tremendous job. He's going to be in the MVP uh, conversations throughout the season, but the Thunder's going to lose a lot of games that Kevin Durant, right. you know, went on 11, 12-0 runs by himself at the end of games. Like, I saw him last night. On, on on nights where on sleepy nights in like Minnesota or Utah, where the Thunder should be beating this team in the fourth quarter, or, or they should they should be sitting starters, you know they're struggling with a team that's below 500, and then Kevin Durant makes a conscious decision to say, all right, I'm gonna score 12 in a row, we're gonna get out of here. Like he did that, he did that multiple times, and and it's not to say that Russell Westbrook can't do that because he has done that this this season as well. And, and route did eight triple doubles, right. but it's just Russell Westbrook now. There aren't many other guys on that team that can go create their own shot and be as brilliant and efficient as Kevin Durant was. I think people, 
I think people appreciated Kevin Durant, but they're also they also took for granted how efficiently that guy was at scoring the basketball. He, he might be one of the best we've seen of his generation. Mm. But but for for Westbrook, I mean the the numbers he's putting up now. I mean you've had a chance to see him for a couple years. Are you surprised by by the numbers he's putting up this year and how well he's playing? Jamal, I'm I'm done being surprised with what, what Russell Westbrook can do. I'm done. I'm not going to put a cap on what the two, on what the brother can do. Like every every time somebody asks me, or every time I think to myself that, oh well, you know he can't he can't possibly do this on the second night of a back to back like this. He goes and he gets 19 assists or 18 rebounds or, or what have you. I, I'm not going to cap what the guy can do anymore. I've never seen a player like him in terms of you know just the just the upside and what he can do on a year-to-year, night-to-night basis. I, I always thought that there's got to be some kind of limitation. And I think that his limitation might be his athleticism. Mm. And once that goes, that might be where we can put a, a definite cap in, in terms of how high he can go in, in, in statistically. But I'm finished with the predictions game in terms of Westbrook. <laughs> Every night we're bringing up Oscar Robinson and Michael Jordan's name now. So... Uh, <laughs> Is it going to translate to, to the Thunder being a better team? I'm not sure. I think, I think he needs more help around him. I think the Thunder's not finished making moves. This isn't the team that they wanted when Kevin Durant made his decision. This, right. this, this, this is a team that they're still trying to build. But um, Russell Westbrook and, and what he's doing statistically, and, and, and as far as leading the team, too, I, I think it's been remarkable through the first 20 games. Right. Our guest is uh, the great Eric Horn, the beat writer from Oklahoma who's um, getting his Ph.D. in, uh, in that NBA, but also in the, in the Oklahoma Thunder. I'm just curious, man, you've seen, you've seen um, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the Thunder. What about Golden State? You, you, you went out there, you saw, you saw them play. Um, Jamal and I, before we, you know, we got on the phone, we were talking about Durant. I was always wondering, of those three, who's going to take, who's going to have to step back? In Golden State, I always thought it was going to be Clay Thompson, whose minutes were going to be cut. But as Jamal pointed out, it looks like Steph Curry has been the one who's taken a step back. What's your assessment of, of Golden State and how Durant has, has fit in? Are you surprised? Are you are you not surprised? Well, I, I, I cut when I when I came into the season, I was looking at this from a prism of like. The way we the way we saw the 2011 Heat. Remember when LeBron and, right. and Chris Bosh went to the 2011 Heat, right. and everybody kind of started hot taking at the idea that they didn't get off to the start that they wanted to, and oh, what's oh, what's wrong? These guys can't coexist, and oh, everybody was freaking out. And I think that's what we saw with the with the Warriors the first few games because their defense wasn't very good. But I, I think that when players of high caliber that they're used to being the number one guy or maybe freelancing and doing what they want when they go to a new system and they have to, they have to coexist with these guys that have been together for a long time. Not to mention that golden state's bench was completely depleted in making that move for Kevin Durant. Right. I, I think that we had to kind of step back and say, look, these guys got, they might have the three best shooters in the NBA on their team right now. Right. And then they've got, <laughs> and then they've got the, probably the best Swiss Army knife player in Draymond Green. Right. Like, let's see, let's, let's let this thing play out for a little bit and see how this team works. And if you look at all the metrics and you look at the way that their defense is coming together, uh, they've got rim protect, the, their, their rim protection numbers are better than we thought they'd be. They're still going to have interior defense problems when they get up against teams in the playoffs in a seven-game series. But 
I mean, this thing is working out the way we thought it would. They got more talent than everybody else. They've got they've got transcendent talent, and to see what Durant did in the short period of time uh, that I saw him in Golden State, the Thunder got out to a really good run in the first quarter of that game. Uh, young guy Jeremy Grant dunked on Durant, kind of stood him up, kind of kind of mugged him a little bit, and then Durant just Durant just went off and hit six or seven threes in the first half. It was like it, it was like don't poke the bear kind of stuff. So I think this team has a chance to really mold into shape the way that the 2011 Heat did toward the end of that season before they got caught by just that red-hot Dallas team. Um, would I be surprised if a team like the Clippers or the Spurs uh, got together and would take them down in the Western Conference Finals? I wouldn't be surprised at all because I don't know how Kevin Durant is going to perform on that stage mm-hmm. because we've seen Kevin Durant not perform that well on that stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they, get to a, if they get to a Finals, is LeBron James going to eat Kevin Durant's lunch because we've seen that happen before. But <laughs> to a lot of people. This, this is, the, the, the questions are going to be around Durant, I, I think. I think the rest of those guys are going to be fine. The questions are going to be around Durant. Mm-hmm. Uh, in just the last couple of minutes that, that we're going to keep you, I know you've got to scamper off to the locker room and, and hear stuff that you heard before. But um, <laughs> what, what do you think? Um, what, what do you think? Uh, have you seen San Antonio? I'm just curious. I mean, just just. I just think they're due. I think San Antonio is just due. But have you seen them yet? You know, I haven't seen them live. They don't play the Thunder until the back half of the schedule. I think uh, all of their a majority of their meetings come post All Star break. So I haven't seen San Antonio yet. The one game that I did take a good close look at that was way too early in the season for us to make any um, judgments out of was uh, the first game against Golden State. I got a chance to look at that one, and you know, Kawhi looks like he's continued to elevate his game to another level. I, the thing that stood out to San Antonio to me and that, that that stands out to me is that they've upped their athleticism, and I think that's really going to help them against the Golden State. Like a guy like Jonathan Simmons being able to defend multiple positions and score a little bit at, at small forward and power forward. Kawhi's obviously an athletic freak. Uh, you got a guy even like a Kyle Anderson. He's not necessarily athletic, but he's got that length. He can guard a couple of different positions. He's a good passer. He's good with the ball in his hands. Right. And then – you know, LaMarcus Aldridge in his second year, a lot of people were talking about, oh, he might he might want to get traded or something like that. I think that was hogwash, and uh, people are just looking for reasons to move people sometimes. And LaMarcus Aldridge is one of the best long-range jump-shooting big men in the league. I think he's going to continue to grow with that system, too, and, and then he got popped. So, and I think they're still unbeaten on the road, which is, which is absurd uh, for, for, for any team at this juncture to not lose a road game. Uh, San Antonio, like you said, Bill, uh, I, I don't know if they're due, but they're going to push them. I mean, they're going to push Golden State for sure. And I think the Clippers, to me, so far have been more surprising than San Antonio. I expected mm. San Antonio to come out quick. But uh, the Clippers, the way that they were playing defense those first uh, 10 or 15 games, and they come back to the pack a little bit now, but right. they were really impressive the way they were playing defense those first, uh, those first few games. Mm. Yeah, last, last question. This is – I want to have you back on. First of all, now you, 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 Eric, you guys, you do a, uh, a podcast for the Oklahoman too, right? Yes, yes, so we, we call it the Thunder hear. Buddies podcast. They call what is it called again? <laughs> the Thunder Buddies podcast. <laughs> uh, it's basically it's a play off the movie Ted. Uh, it, uh, the, the, the podcast was named by my predecessors uh, Darnell Mayberry and, and Anthony Slater. Uh, we kind of carried it on, and Darnell still jumps on, and my beat partner Brett Dawson. We'll get him on as well, and and you know we're gonna we're gonna tape one tomorrow, kind of a 
quarter season review, see where the Thunder's at at 20 games. And and people, you're on Twitter too. If people want to follow you uh, on Twitter, what's your what's your Twitter uh, handle? Yeah, it's uh, at Eric E R I K H O R N E O K. So it's just Eric Horn O K. If you want to follow on Twitter, and um, also newsok.com. That's also our um, our our Oklahoma website. Right. Hey, before we let you go, um, I just one sort of autobiographical question. I know I always like to uh, act like there are young aspiring journalists who are listening to this. And um, we, we spoke briefly about this when we met at Madison Square Garden. But is this, is this a dream come true for you, um, you know, covering a major, a major team uh, in the NBA for a major news organization? Is this something you grew up in Louisiana wanting to do? Or did you kind of stumble into this or, you know? You know, I, I always wanted to write about sports. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to write about. And I'm not sure what the end of the line is going to be for me when it comes to what I'm writing about at the end of my uh, career. Uh, I've always admired guys like you, Bill, that are columnists. I grew up watching the sports reporters with, with Bob Ryan and Dick Schaft and, and Mike Wilbon and, uh, and, and Mitch Album and all those guys and, and really appreciating how you know thoughtful – and, and eloquent you guys conveyed your message to, and, and I can't forget John Saunders too oh, man, right, John right. Saunders he was, a, he was a massive role model for me and it still just gets me just thinking about how much he did for for young African Americans in, in this country in terms of uh, in terms of sports viewership but I, I think that this is a dream for me in the sense that every day I get to go in and be creative you know mm. um, I think that's something we take for granted. Uh, not just as people, but minorities being able to express our creativity uh, through our art and our craft. And uh, it's something I think about daily, and it's something that I'm going to continue to do. And if I had one message for, for anybody who, who wanted to pursue a career in sports journalism, it's not, it's not to limit yourself. Um, I came from, you know, small beginnings. I worked at a weekly uh, sports newspaper in Atlanta as an internship, worked for nothing, st- uh, started working part-time for high schools, put up enough clips to where – I could send them out across the country in a paper, a small paper in Oklahoma gave me an opportunity uh, from a town of about 25, 30,000 people. And I worked at that, uh, I worked at that uh, paper for about five years, just grinding, working on high school sports. And then I went to a National Association of Black Journalists convention, met a couple of people, ran into Mark Spears, who referred me to somebody, uh, ran into the sports editor of the Boston Globe, Joe Sullivan, who referred me to Mike Sherman, who was a sports editor of the Oklahoman. And here I am now. So <laughs> it's been like an eight to ten year arc of me basically not being a, not being able to not being afraid to limit myself and go out of my comfort zone to pursue what I wanted to do. And that's the biggest message I have to anybody is you, you can't be afraid to go out of your comfort zone to pursue anything, whether it's journalism or being an engineer. You got to go get it, you know. Amen. That's great, man. That's great. And, and just think, I mean, you got such a great future ahead of you man i mean like there's so many chapters yet to be unwritten so i'm very i'm just very excited it was exciting to meet you excited to hear you i'm really excited about the next 10 years man where are you going to go from here and uh and your whole generation but they have young you know black journalists and young journalists in general man. i mean i think it's such an exciting time so um you know man continue to have continue to have fun man continue to do it you know write those books you know and uh you know, and, um, you know, don't forget to come back on our show. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, most cer- most certainly. I-, I appreciate y'all having me, Bill and Jamal. I mean, it's a, it's a great honor 
just to run into you at the garden and just just a great honor to be on the show as well. Yeah. Well, this is great, man. So listen, so we will catch up with you later. Have fun this evening, and uh, we will catch you down the road. But have a great holiday season, and say hello to West. Uh, Russell Westbrook for us, they'll probably like slap you. <laughs> Get out of here, Grant. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I, I, I will say hello to Russell for you, most of All right. Hey, hey, Eric, thank you so much. Our guest has been Eric uh, Horn, the beat writer for the Oklahoma, and we will be visiting them uh, down the road, and we'll be right back on another version of Bill Roden on Sports. <laughs> Yes, uh, you know, I'm somehow back. Yeah, that's a couple of sips of water. Yeah, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm fighting. It's going around, man. Something's going around. I'm fighting off this uh, cold Don't slash bring, throat. I'm, I'm, stay, I'm keeping please. my distance from you. We got to put like a shit. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what's going to happen with Obamacare, man. You know, yeah, we, gotta we know what's going to happen with Obamacare. There's going to be no more care. Oh, man. This is, you know, which was something I want to get into. I know that. You know, we're talking about NBA. We had a really nice interview with, with Eric Horn. It's really a bright kid. But I'm still, I don't know about you, but I mean, this, the, the election is still, it's still so much kind of part of us, and so many people are bummed by it. And that, not beyond bummed, but actually. Right. Depressed. Depre- well, now a little more fearful. When you right. see who this motherfucker is starting to put in right. in office, man, these kind of people who are hardcore, right wing. Right. And I was talking to some people there. We had to go in our roles there. How did people deal with oppressive in the United States? How are we going to be dealing with an oppressive regime? Right. And which I don't know if we've ever, we thought we did, you know, but this seems to be unprecedented. So, um, you know, although we were going to talk about basketball and the NFL and that kind of stuff, I don't really think that we can afford to be, um, uh, to have sports be this opiate where we just kind of get lost in it because there's too much stuff is getting ready to come down the pike. And, um, you know, it's, it's for me, it's good to see Kaepernick still, um, you know, raising, you know, raising his his fist and protesting. Because it is ridiculous. I mean, the whole right. nation is just ridiculous. Right. And, and Especially I, now. More yeah. so now. Yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I have trouble that. dealing with the anthem when it comes on, when I'm at sporting events. I don't, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel that I should stand up for it even. Right, because it's no. always stupid. And and now, but I think he just clarified it. But I think now we're going to be in an environment where I don't know how you felt, but I felt that, well, at least with a black man in the White House, you know, you could kind of protest and some kind of way you made a ridiculous connection between protesting is okay, although black people still get murdered. Now I feel that things are much much more raw. That right. that uh, you know, uh, we're really going to have to have your stuff together. We're going to have to be unified because. Um, there's some there's some nasty stuff that's out there. Some people who are not necessarily into black rights. They're not into a whole bunch of folks' rights. Right, but especially not black rights. Yeah, black rights, brown rights. I mean, a whole bunch of folks. Right. Anybody who feels who's sort of a humanist, who's into um, us moving toward this kind of democracy where it's not just the wealthy, not just the elite, um, you know, uh, a, a, a society that's based on love, that's based on democracy. You know, I think that this this clan, man, is that's not what they're about. Right. It's about it's about evilness, it's about um 
it's about playing on people's fears and right. keeping people separate. Right. And, and their um, own fears. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, their own fears. You're right. You're absolutely right. You've said that before. And I think that one of the things that I do enjoy about the industry in which we work in sports is that at certain people, people at a certain level, people have to get together. People from diverse backgrounds who don't always necessarily get along, when they come into the locker room, at some point they have to agree to put aside differences so they can compete and they can win. And I think that's where we are as, as a people. We have to figure out what's the common denominator. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think evilness, they always say love will conquer, love conquers all. And it sounds kind of corny, but I think it's really true. And that's going to be put to a test in these next four years. I mean, people really bonding with each other, people finding common ground, uh, you know, like sort of the best of the championship teams. You know, um, I mean, how would you like? I think you were at the Patriots game right. the other day, and uh, you were talking to Marcellus Bennett. You said, "Well, right. you know, how do you?" I mean, Tom Brady was clearly a Trump supporter, but some kind of way, when you went into the clubhouse, you're like, "Okay, you go to your church, I go to mine, but we got to beat the Jets," which is not the hardest thing. Not at all. But <laughs> you know, but but there's this whole idea of trying to pull together. So um, you know, I know we got a lot of exciting football coming up and basketball, the NBA season, but I don't want us to lose, to lose focus. Right. That you know. And I and I think, you know, I'm hoping that that athletes don't lose focus either. Like, and you had mentioned this on the podcast previous to this about, you know, before Obama was was in the was in office, it, people are protesting. It's it's sort of like a scrimmage, but now it's it's the real game. So we actually, in my opinion, need that even more. We need more athletes to to step out there. I mean. They're they're the they're the ones who are secure in their in their wealth at at the moment, or they have secure spots, and they they have, you know, they should be the ones leading our youth. And Len Elmore said that last uh, last podcast also that the the amount of influence that they actually can have on the younger generation that's going to be voting uh, four to eight years from now is immense, and that they need to understand that and use that especially in these times and and it's like you said it's the real game right now it's right. not a scrimmage anymore and i don't want to see less protesting because trump is there because that's the, you know you're almost showing some sort of fear um i want you know we need it now so we need to see more of it and i don't and i haven't seen it at all right. i haven't seen it there as far as the trump situation i've heard uh coaches nba coaches talking about it kerr uh popovich uh van gundy all all white men Right. Uh, speaking out about it, but I haven't heard the players really speak out about it. Yeah, that, and that's you know we'll we'll see. I mean that's a little disturbing. I mean these things come in cycles. Right. You know when something happens, then everybody's kind of outraged. As long as the outrage is 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 okay. I mean as long as it's certain powers be says okay to protest. You know now business seems to be kind you know kind of get back to normal. So. Um, you know we will see, man. You know we will see. Like I said, that's why I'm, I'm happy to see Kaepernick. Continuing to to uh, to kneel uh, and not say, well, okay, you know, that's because it's not a fad. This is not a, this is beyond a fad. This is real stuff, like you said. This is like the real game. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is not a scrimmage. And I think that a lot of people who are like in their 60s and 70s and 80s know that there was a time in in, in America where this stuff was really nasty, and and they know what happens when you do not protest this stuff, when you don't stand up. And anything, whether it's the bully in the yard, right. when you don't stand up, 
it, it doesn't make things better. Trust me. Right. It does not make things better. It may short term, it may think that long term doesn't. And so we we're gonna have to start making longer term decisions that you gotta stand up, you know, because that's what makes this country uh, stronger. So anyway, on that happy note, <laughs> on that happy note, it's uh, it's always been great, man. We thank um, Eric Horn for giving us some insights about the Oklahoma Thunder uh, and Kevin Durant and uh, Westbrook. Got to get Westbrook on, man. I guess. I I mean, I think both of those guys are very, I think, very interesting people. I think right. uh, Westbrook is very interesting. His right. I think Durant is very interesting, in his right. I think what probably made them work is that they were so different. Right. Right. You know, um, I, di- I did not want to – I meant to ask Eric, who – you know, we talk about that 3-1 collapse. Right. We talk about whose fault was it. Right. You got to blame somebody. It had to be somebody's uh, fault. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he – uh, Eric kind of – it sounded like he was he was putting, you know, more of the blame on Durant. And, you know, I would I give it to him equally, unfortunately. I mean, I'm – one of the, one of my problems with Westbrook as a player is that he's an – I've always felt him to be a numbers guy. He puts up big numbers – um, even the assists, I don't. I don't feel like he's a natural passer. It's almost like he's trying to get those right. numbers to me. Right. You know, I could be wrong. No, I think you're right. But <laughs> I think you're right. You know, so it's like, and but when it came down to it, in those last minutes, in those big games when they were down three-one, he wasn't hitting those those mid-range jump shots. He wasn't hitting hitting those contested jump shots that he had to hit mm-hmm. when it mattered. He was hitting those in the first three quarters. So for for me to really truly believe in Westbrook as a as a championship player, Oscar Robertson uh, style player, who people are comparing him to, I got to see that when in crunch time, um, hit hitting big big shots and carrying your team to the victory, not not just numbers. Right. Yeah. So we shall see. Um, so anyway, so listen, this is uh, you know we've got a whole season to go, and uh, we shall see. Anyway, I'd like to thank everybody. Thank uh, you know Kevin. Jamal, uh, Laisa for coming. Another version of Bill Roden on sports. And by the way, um, uh, on Monday, going to be having a little celebration in Harlem at Chocolate Restaurant, celebrating uh, our 100th podcast and um, celebrating um, 35 years at the New York Times and celebrating, uh, what else? Oh, new assignment with the undefeated, ESPN undefeated. So it's going to be a chocolate restaurant. Um, and, um, yeah, that should be fun. And um, we will see you there. But anyway, listen, thanks for listening. Thanks for, I think this was podcast number 99 or something. 98. 98. We've got two more to go. Well, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to make it. But, hey, thanks, everybody, and we will see you later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Yeah. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.